Hey everyone, welcome to the Planned, Prepped, and Productive Podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Spackman, registered dietitian and mom of three, and believer in peaceful, easy, but also homemade family meals. On this podcast, I'm helping moms master mealtime and become the boss of their kitchen. As you do this, you'll find more peaceful meals through prep and planning. We will do this by focusing on four pillars for making mealtime manageable, doable, and if you give it a chance, maybe even fun. The four pillars are mindset and self-care, planning and organization, meal planning, and meal prep. This is episode 75, Cooking Meat 101, How to Cook Meat, a Crash Course for Beginners. My first time cooking ground beef in college, I remember staring at the recipe. It said something along the lines of brown ground beef. That's useful. (laughs) I looked at the recipe again, then at the pile of intimidating, bright red, juicy ground beef taunting me. And then I called my mom, desperate for an answer. Mom, what does it mean to brown ground beef? What temperature do I put it on? How do I know if it's done? Thankfully, the process of browning ground meat wasn't quite as daunting as I thought it was going to be, but the next few years of learning to cook meat definitely came with a big learning curve. Just jumping in can be a scary process when it comes to meat because meat is expensive. Not to mention, even though I'm not a vegan or a vegetarian, I do care about animals. And if I'm going to cook and eat meat, I definitely want to do it right and have as little waste as possible. So in this week's episode of the podcast, we're going to do a crash course into how to cook some of the most common types of meat in the easiest ways possible. Um, I had this question from someone who listens, and I thought it was a great topic to dive into for a lot of you, especially those of you who are newer to cooking, or maybe those of you who have been cooking for a long time, but have never really felt like you've mastered meat. Just a little warning, this is going to be a very information-packed episode. The show notes for this episode are going to be your best friend, so go ahead and listen along. Um try to catch some things, but keep in mind that because this is a crash course, it's more of just a deep dive, I guess more of a shallow dive, but covering a lot of different topics when it comes to cooking meat. It's kind of something that I want you to hear and listen and then bookmark to come back to as you find yourself needing to cook different types of meat. So don't try and remember everything at once. Try not to get overwhelmed with the vast amount of information, but keep this as a guide and something useful as you master this cooking skill a little bit better. All right, so let's dive right in. How to cook meat, a crash course for beginners. So let's start with the most commonly consumed meat in America, at least, which is chicken. So we'll start by talking about chicken breasts. Uh, Since they are the most commonly cooked meat in American households, Chicken breasts are lean, so you don't have to do a lot of trimming of fat, which can be really appealing to those of you who are new to cooking meat and maybe have an aversion to touching it or, you know, all of that, which you tend to get better at over time, but I know it can be a little bit um, uncomfortable at first. It's lower in fat, it's high in protein, so it's no wonder that it's a really popular meat. 
The funny thing about the fact that we cook it so often though is that it is honestly one of the most difficult cuts of meat to cook correctly. Um, if you don't believe me, watch MasterChef. They always are complaining. Leaner meats can be really, really difficult because they tend to dry out and be a little bit less forgiving of any mistakes you make in the kitchen. Honestly, I still feel like I'm constantly experimenting with ways to get chicken breasts just right. But let's go ahead and dig into some tips anyway for how you can keep your chicken breasts moist and tender. So the number one tip, and this goes for every single type of meat I'm going to talk about, and a lot of these tips can go between different types of... So that's one thing that's really helpful, even though there is a lot of information, is that a lot of the information carries over. Um, If you learn some general principles, you'll be able to apply them no matter what type of meat you're cooking. Chicken breast is considered safe to eat when it reaches an internal temperature of 165 degrees Fahrenheit. But you don't have to cook it that high um, in the oven or on the grill. Instead, try cooking your chicken to about 160 degrees and then let it sit for about five minutes off the heat. Take the temperature again before you slice it and eat it just to make sure, but it should reach 165 degrees even as it's sitting off of the stove um, through a process called carryover cooking, meaning that it actually continues to cook off the heat. So if you take it off at 165, it will be a little bit overcooked and dry. Honestly, most people are cooking their chicken to like 180, 190, so it's not going to be horrible at 165, but it's going to be its juiciest if you can take it off before it reaches 165 and then you let it come to temperature after. So that's one way to make sure that you get juicy chicken breasts instead of dry, tough chicken breasts. Another thing to do is to use a brine or a marinade. So a brine or a marinade can help your chicken stay moist even if you happen to overcook it. A brine is simply a mixture of salt and sugar and sometimes some other seasonings that you let your chicken stay in for a few hours or overnight and it helps the chicken retain moisture as it cooks. A marinade is similar, but it's more of a flavoring. It's not going to be as high in salt um, and it's usually going to contain an oil, some kind of an acid, sometimes a sweetener, and then seasonings and flavorings. Um, I'm planning to do an episode in the future all about chickens, so I'm not going to dive too, too deep in this, but I am trying out some new techniques and I want to kind of delve into the results of what different brining techniques, what different brining techniques or marinating techniques or other tenderizing techniques do to the chicken and how it tastes. So look out for that episode if you want even more advice when it comes to brining and marinating. Another thing that makes chicken breasts really difficult to cook is because, especially today, chicken breasts are often very large and incredibly thick. Um, And this means that by the time the heat gets to the middle of the chicken for it to be cooked through properly, the outside is often overcooked. So to combat this problem, you can butterfly your chicken in half, or just cut it in half, the cooking term is to butterfly it. Sometimes I'll cut it even thinner into three or four different slices if I have a really thick chicken breast. Um, After you've sliced it, you can go ahead and pound out the pieces of chicken to an even thickness so that when you cook it, it's all cooking through fairly evenly. The last tip I have for chicken breasts, and I've talked about this on the podcast before, so maybe I should have put this very first, but the slow cooker is the 
easiest way to learn to cook most types of meat for beginners. And as we move on, we're going to talk about what cuts of meat are appropriate for the slow cooker and what cuts are not. But for those cuts that do work in the slow cooker, it's literally just set it and forget it, which is what makes the slow cooker so appealing. An instant pot is similar. It's just going to cook a little bit faster. And personally, I still find it just a little bit more finicky, partially because you have to let your slow cooker, excuse me, partially because you have to let the pressure cooker come to temperature and you can't check that it's cooked to your liking before it comes back down. So if you didn't get it cooked quite tender enough, then you have to bring it all to temperature again. And anyway, in that way, I find it just a little bit more finicky than a slow cooker, but it also is kind of more of a set it and forget it way of cooking. So both of those options are really, really good for beginners. Um, I'm going to go ahead and drop a recipe that I love for chicken queso chili. This is from Pinch of Yum, who has some incredible recipes. Um, and this recipe cooks the chicken along with all of the other ingredients. So it is so easy to do in the slow cooker. And that's one thing that's really cool about, um, cooking chicken breasts in the slow cooker is that you can often just cook it straight in your recipe and just kind of dump everything you're going to eat into the pot. And then it's ready for you when you're ready. I also love doing slow cooker chicken for meal prep. So I'm also dropping a recipe to my meal prep shredded chicken. Um, I really like it because chicken breast cooked in the slow cooker gets soft and shreddable. So it's really great for soups and stews and, um, things where you want that chicken to just kind of fall apart in your dish. So like I said, I'll drop that recipe if you want to try it out. Okay, so now we've talked about chicken breast, which is the most common cut of chicken that we have. Well, that we use, I guess all of the parts of the chicken are truly equally common. But um, next, I want to talk about thighs, wings, drumsticks, kind of all of the other parts of the chicken. So many of the tips for how to cook chicken breasts apply to chicken parts as well. But the one thing that I want to point out about these other chicken parts is that they are actually much more forgiving and easy to cook because they are higher in fat than chicken breasts. So you may want to try out some recipes using chicken parts. That's kind of a disturbing word, but if you are a beginner, because it's harder to mess it up, it's harder to dry it out. My very favorite cut of chicken to use, and I use it probably second most next to chicken breast is boneless chicken thighs. So these are really easy to cook with because there's no bones and it turns out super moist and flavorful every time because it's higher in fat. So I'm going to drop a recipe again. This is one of my favorite dinners. This is from Mark Bittman, who is a wonderful, wonderful cookbook author if you are looking for some basic cookbooks. But this recipe is for a one pot chicken and rice. It has very minimal ingredients and it is so tasty Um, and it uses chicken thighs. So I will drop that recipe if you guys are interested in trying a recipe with something other than chicken breasts that maybe you're most familiar with. And I promise it really is easier, even if it feels a little bit intimidating. The last thing I want to talk about with chicken is how you can cook it whole. Um, And a whole chicken is surprisingly simple to cook as well. It might feel a little bit intimidating, um, but you can either roast it in the oven or cook it in a slow cooker. And again, you're just going to want to cook it until the thickest part of the breast reaches 160 and then make sure it reaches 165 through carryover cooking. 
and that's really it. If you do it in your slow cooker, it's going to be really tender and fall aparty, which is yummy, but you probably will want to broil it in the oven after, and broiling it is just when you turn on those flames on the top so that you can get the skin crispy, because when you cook it in the slow cooker, the skin is soggy, and that's not very appealing. But both ways are really, really simple, and Cooking a whole chicken can be a really good way to meal prep. For example, I used to do this all the time. Um, We would cook the whole chicken, eat it as a roast one day, maybe with mashed potatoes or, you know, just kind of a typical Sunday dinner type chicken, and then save the rest of the chicken for your meal prep through the rest of the week. All right. Now let's dig into beef. So cooking beef is a bit more complicated than chicken, only because there are a lot more cuts to keep track of. So for the sake of this how to cook meat 101, we're not going to get into detail about every single different cut of beef. That would make this episode like forever long. But I'm going to give you a few quick tips for determining whether your meat is tough or whether your meat is tender, as this is the most important information for you to know when you're determining how to cook your meat. So Generally speaking, the tender cuts are more expensive um, and the tougher cuts are less expensive. Both types of meat will be tender once they are cooked through if they are cooked properly, but you do have to choose the correct method for the type of cut you have because if you cook a tender cut using tough cut methods, you're actually going to end up with beef jerky. You're going to completely ruin that otherwise tender cut of meat. Um, And if you try to cook the tougher cuts using methods that are appropriate for tender cuts, it's going to be a similar situation. It's going to be impossible to cut through, chewy, and unappetizing. The easiest, well, one of the easiest things to look at is, is this an expensive cut or was it a less expensive cut? This is not a perfect science, but it's just something to keep in mind that can help you know what your cooking method might be. Another way is to actually look at your meat. So tender meat usually has a lot of marbling, usually a little bit higher in fat, and that fatty meat will show like a white marbling throughout. Sometimes the fatty meats are still tough if it has a lot of connective tissue, um, so you can look for that as well. Your tougher meat is probably going to be more of a uniform red color without that fatty marbling, and like I said, will show some tough connective tissue as well. Um, I know these are just kind of rules of thumb. Honestly, I think the best thing to do is to just Google whatever cut of meat you have and see if it's a tough or a tender cut, and that way it will be a really easy way to find out. But I do think some of these tips for kind of Sherlocking whether or not it's a tender cut or a tough cut can be helpful as well. So now that you kind of have a few tips on how to determine whether your cut is tough or whether it's tender, um, let's talk about what the proper ways of cooking them are. So we'll just dive into a couple different categories of beef without going into specific cuts. But if you're cooking a tougher roast, so a roast that has a lot of connective tissue, you're going to want to cook that meat at a lower temperature for a longer period of time. And in general, this is true for most tougher cuts of meat. Um, When it comes to beef, there are a few other tricks that we're going to talk about um, 
that you can use so that you can cook a tougher cut of meat, more rare, um, and still have it turn out tender. But like for a big roast, this is the general rule that you're going to want to cook it for a longer period of time at a lower temperature. You can use your oven or your slow cooker at a low temperature over a long period of time. And that will break down that connective tissue, giving you a nice tender roast, even from a cheaper cut of meat. So Generally speaking, these are cheaper, so they're going to require a longer cooking time. It's not necessarily more difficult, but they are going to take more time to become tender and delicious. Okay, so there are some types of steaks that are tougher as well. And in general, I'm not going to slow cook my steak. So there are other options for tenderizing, like I just mentioned, um, these tougher cuts. And these methods would be using things like steak marinades. You could also use a mechanical tenderizing method. So if you've ever seen or purchased cube steak, they've run it through a tenderizer, which means it's just cut through a bunch of that connective tissue before you cook it, which will make it more tender. Another tip that's really important for like, say a flank steak, which is a tougher steak, I love flank steak, um, is to slice the meat against the grain after you cook it. So that means you can see these long connective tissue fibers and you're going to want to cut through those instead of cutting along them parallel, you're going to want to cut perpendicular to those connective fibers. And that way you're cutting up the connective tissue and there's less work for your mouth. It's going to feel a lot better in your mouth than trying to break through that entire long tissue. This is really useful for any cut of steak, but if you're eating a really, really tender steak, you're really not going to notice a huge difference. But on these tougher steaks, it's mandatory, imperative that you cut it against the grain. All right, so now let's dig into your more tender cuts. So for tender cuts of steak, you want to use high heat and cook it just until it reaches the desired temperature. So this is a little bit of a controversial topic. The USDA recommends that all beef be cooked to an internal temperature of 145 degrees. However, if you like rare or medium rare meat, you can't cook it to this temperature. Um, rare meat will usually be cooked to about 125 degrees Fahrenheit and medium rare about 135 degrees. So the culinary community in opposition to the USDA largely agrees that most steaks should be cooked to a medium rare temperature, um, which would mean taking the meat off the heat at 135 degrees. In fact, some people think it's essentially like a cardinal sin to cook any of your steaks past 135 degrees. Um, I tend to agree with the culinary professionals a little bit more in this case. Um, ultimately the choice is yours. Um, when it comes to taste, I do prefer a medium rare meat. Usually at a restaurant, I go a little higher. That's just out of fear because I feel like they always undercook it from what I say. But if I'm cooking at home, I would feel confident going with a medium rare. Um, and one thing to keep in mind with food safety is that whole cuts of meat, um, like a steak or a roast where the internal part of the meat is not exposed to outside pathogens is generally considered a little bit safer at a lower temperature. But 
again, consider your comfort with the risks before you make your decision of what temperature to cook your meat to. But the key here is that tender cuts are cooked on higher heat just until they reach the desired temperature and no longer. So higher heat, shorter cooking time. All right, let's talk about pork. So as we dig into pork, I want to give a quick tip to start out. And this tip can apply to beef as well, but it's easiest to talk about with pork. So that's why I saved it. So going back to what we were talking about of trying to figure out whether your cut of meat is tender naturally or tough naturally, it's helpful to consider what part of the animal the cut of meat came from. So the reason it's easiest with pork is because a lot of the cuts of pork are named after where they came from on the pork's body. So a pork shoulder is going to be a pretty tough cut of meat naturally. Why? Well, a shoulder is a very muscular part of the body that gets a lot of use. In contrast, the pork tenderloin is one of the most tender parts of the pig and it is found on the back of the pig that gets much less use than the shoulder, butt, or leg muscles, so it's more tender. The same tips apply with cooking pork that we talked about with cooking beef. So the more tough you want a lower temperature for a longer period of time, the more tender, a higher temperature for a shorter amount of time. Let's talk about roasts. So pork loin and pork tenderloin um, are leaner, um, but also much more tender cuts of meat. So you'll want to bake them at relatively high heat until they are just cooked to a temperature of 145 degrees for pork. So I can't tell you how many times I've bought pork loin instead of pork shoulder, and then I've tried to make like barbecue pork sandwiches or some other kind of pulled pork, and yuck, it turns out awful. Um, but cooked properly, pork loin should taste great. Okay, so for your roasts that are more muscular, more tough, um, but in the case of pork, they actually will have more fat. A slow cooking method is best because it will cause that connective tissue to break down and the fat to separate easily from the meat. So a rule of thumb is to go for one to two hours per pound of meat in the oven or the slow cooker on low. Um, when the meat is ready, it should easily tear apart with forks. And this is the best method for making any like pulled pork type dishes. So if you like sweet pork tacos or barbecue pork sandwiches, this is the cut to look for. Pork chops are not actually something I cook a lot, but we can talk about them briefly. Pork chops come from the same area of the pig as the pork loin roast. They're just cut into steaks instead of into a roast. Um, and they should be cooked until they come to temperature using relatively high heat like we talked about. So my first choice would be on the grill or in a skillet on the stove. Ham is a very interesting type of pork. Fun fact, if you didn't know, ham is basically always pre-cooked. So even those giant hams on the bone, they're already cooked all the way through. So if you're looking for a meat that's hard to mess up, ham is absolutely it. Most hams even come with a glaze in the package, so you could literally just be reheating it in the oven and adding that glaze. Although personally, I usually opt for making my own glaze and ham is still one of the easiest meats to cook. So if you wanna try it for a Sunday dinner, they also have all sorts of different sizes. So you could get some smaller hams that have been cut off the bone um, if you don't want to tackle something quite so big. All right, the last part of pork I want to talk about is bacon. Um, 
bacon is best cooked in a cold pan. So whether it's a frying pan or it's in the oven, you want to start cold. So you almost always preheat the oven, but not with bacon. So you'll go ahead and cook it in a cold pan. If you're on the stove, you want to turn it often until it reaches your desired texture. Generally speaking, I don't turn it if I cook it in the oven. Um, Keep a close eye on your bacon and again, turn it often because it can burn very, very quickly. Um, The reason that you start from cold is so that the bacon doesn't shrink up immediately when you put it in the pan. So that can kind of keep your bacon um, from getting super shrunk up and curly, which also makes it easier to cook because when it's shrunk up, it's harder to get it to actually touch the pan where you need it to. All right, we're getting close, my friends. Just two more things to talk about. So the first thing is ground meats. So luckily cooking ground meats is super easy and the same techniques apply to any type of ground meat. The biggest mistake that most cooks make is not preheating the pan properly and then essentially steaming their meat instead of properly browning it. But guess what? It's honestly going to be fine even if you steam it and don't brown it. So don't stress too much about this kind of meat. To cook ground meat, first heat up your pan Then add oil and let the oil heat. Then add your meat and let it start to brown on the bottom before you start breaking it up with a wooden spoon. Don't overcrowd the pan or you will, again, steam your meat instead of browning it. Use a bigger pan if you have a big batch to cook or cook in separate batches. Meats like sausage are already going to be seasoned, but for unseasoned meat, try adding about a teaspoon of kosher salt per pound of meat. And if you only have table salt, use about a half a teaspoon. Generally, I'm always cooking with kosher salt and a lot of chefs do as well. So often when you find recipes online, they've been designed with kosher salt in mind. So if you find your dishes tasting too salty, it might be because you're using table salt. And there's nothing wrong with using table salt, but you might just need to learn to cut back on your salt a little bit. So the types of ground meats that the techniques we just talked about work well on are ground chicken, ground turkey, ground pork, ground beef, or sausage. The last type of meat we're going to dig into is fish. And there are a bunch of different types of fish, but they will all cook well using the same basic methods. While some types of fish are a little bit more hearty and less delicate, like salmon versus tilapia, but basically all fish is relatively soft and delicate in comparison to other meats. So this means that the slow cooker is out for fish. So just put that out of your mind. (laughs) But fish is actually one of my go-tos for fast dinners. In general, it cooks faster than other meats and it thaws out from the freezer like way faster, meaning that if I forget to pull it out of the freezer, it's no big deal. So the three ways that I cook fish are by baking, pan frying, and grilling. Deep frying is another option, but I don't do a lot of deep frying in my house, but that would be an option that would taste great as well. Okay, so to bake fish. Baking is definitely the easiest method. Fish is supposed to be cooked to 145 degrees Fahrenheit. Again, this has a little bit of backlash from the culinary community, so you can do your own research. But a rule of thumb for cooking fish is to follow what's called the 10-minute rule. And the 10-minute rule says that you cook your fish in the oven um, for 10 minutes per inch of thickness of your filet. So if you've got a two inch filet, you're going to cook for 20 minutes at 400 degrees, and you're going to flip that fish halfway through your cooking time. 
If you've got a thinner filet, you can do it for 10 minutes. Again, you're gonna flip halfway through the cooking time. If you have a really thin filet, like half an inch, you'll only need to cook it for about five minutes and you won't need to flip it at all. So this is the easiest method for cooking fish, but it's not my favorite as I really miss the crispy crust you get from the other two methods. So pan frying is my favorite method. Follow the same tips for preparing your pans that I described for ground beef, and this is for cooking in general. You want to preheat the pan first, then add your oil and heat the oil. Um, and when you cook fish this way, you'll get a nice crispy skin. So I always start skin side down for the fish if it has skin on it, and then I'll flip it when the color, uh, the cooked color has come about halfway up the fish, if that makes sense. And then flip it over and cook it until you get a nice crisp on the filet. And you can check your temperature to make sure as well. But this is the most flavorful way I've found to cook fish. The last way that I use often as well is the grill. And actually, I am kind of a cheater and I almost never use the real grill, but I use my Cheater George Foreman grill. And I love it because I get heat from both sides so the salmon cooks twice as fast and I don't have to think about when to flip it. It's so easy. All right, my friends, that was a super quick and dirty crash course into how to cook meat. I don't expect you to remember all of it. It wasn't meant to be crazy overwhelming, although there is a lot to remember. More just that really cooking meat isn't all that difficult. There's just some special considerations to take for all the different types. So bookmark the episode. The show notes will be especially helpful and maybe pick just one kind of meat to try that you've never cooked before and then let me know how it goes. Next week, we're going to talk about how you can meal prep pizza. So I think pizza is one of the most desired foods and um, we can spend a lot of money eating it out and it's also not as customizable. We can't make it as nutrient dense maybe as we want to. So we're going to talk about three different ways that you can meal prep pizza. I'm excited about it. Can't wait to chat next week. Happy planning. <laughs>